My name is Daniel Wagner. I'm the student pastor here, like Nick said. And uh, thank you for making fun of my jacket, Nick. I really appreciate that. I have to compensate for the long hair and the tight pants, so I put the jacket on. So it's just a, it's a give and a take. That's what church is about. I'm excited about being here today and about speaking to this. We've been walking through the book of James all summer, and this is the conclusion as we start a new sermon series next week on August the 7th, and not just a new series, but a new season of life here at Fonderin Church. God has done great things in the five years now that we've been a church, and in this next season, we're moving back to two services. So next Sunday, if you walk in at 1045 in this room, you'll be a little early. We have a service at 930 and 11, and we've got some housekeeping to do at the end of the service where we'll communicate a lot of that to you so you won't be in the dark for next week so wait for that at the end speaking of waiting that's what we're talking about today today uh, the sermon is called when waiting is work that's what robert tyler that's what we're talking about and we are really really bad at being patient as people throughout this book of james james has given us really practical advice of what it looks like to live a life for jesus It was written to a group of believers who grew up Jewish, were from a Jewish culture, and had been scattered throughout the world. And James offered them some very, very practical advice on ways to live out their faith. And this summer, I pray that it's been a blessing for you as we've talked about ways where we live out our faith. A couple of things have kind of been a little harder to to kind of bring into the modern day and to kind of adjust to 21st century living. But waiting and being patient is not one of those things. It's really funny that I got to speak today, that I got on the calendar, because I'm uh, not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm young enough to remember some, some significant technological advances as they happened, uh, like the internet. I was kind of growing up when the internet happened, as cell phones kind of started moving from bags that people used to wear on their side to things that fit in your pocket. I've kind of seen and grown up in a lot of things changing, so I'm really excited about talking about patience and waiting when we talk about our life in the Lord. We'll jump right in with reading James chapter 5. Verse 7 is where we're picking up. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you want to grab that, or it's going to be up on the screen. But let's read James 5 together. It goes like this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider these blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is a passage about waiting. And nobody likes to wait, right? If we can have things that we want right now, or we can wait a little while for things, what are we going to pick? We're going to pick the immediate, always. That's just who we are. We live in a world of fast food, where we take shortcuts And we direct deposit our money on our phones so we don't have to take an unnecessary trip and use time when we can just do something on a mobile device. And I was, my phone has been dying really rapidly lately. So I went in to, you know, adjust some things because I don't want to take time to charge my phone if I don't have to come in full circle. And we've got this thing, this background refresh where when our apps are dormant in our phone, if you have an iPhone and Samsung and some other places are doing that too, 
your phone is refreshing on its own so that you don't ever have to wait. So when you want to open up an app, the app is already ready to go for you before you even think that you want to open up the app. And your phone knows what time of the day you do certain things so that it can go ahead and prepare that for you so that it can have everything pulled up so that you don't have to wait. We don't like to wait. We're people who don't want to wait. Now, I am young enough to remember uh, dial-up internet, which is a gym that needs to come back. But everyone knows the fondness, the fond memories of dial-up internet. This sound right here. This is when you knew you were about to, you were about to hit it big. The boop, 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 boop. Those noises, right? That was, that was it. You knew you were about to be on the internet when that happened. And it used to take forever. If you were growing up kind of around the same time as me, you, uh, your mom would have to use the phone and she would yell at you to get off the phone so that, uh, to get off the internet so she could use the phone. And it was a lot more complicated than just pulling this thing out and uh, getting everything we want as soon as we want it. And I believe that James tells us something, that we're all waiting on something. We're all waiting on something. Everyone has something in their life that we hope for, that we want, that we desire. We say, God, if we have this, if I have this, if you do this for me, if this would just be this way, this person would act this way, this thing would happen, I would get this, everything would be different. I would be happy, this would fulfill me, this would give me what I need. And that's true for all of us. That is very, very true for me. But I think more than just waiting on something, at the heart of it, we're all waiting on something more. We want something more than just what we have right now. We believe that the next thing is the best thing. The thing we desire right now is the greatest desire we'll have. And James speaks directly to that with this group of people. In verse 7, he talks about how these people, the believers who are scattered throughout, are waiting on the coming of the Lord. That's what they think will make it for them. And that's true for us. In the coming of the Lord, Jesus promised us when he left that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to make everything new. He's going to set everything right. He's going to set the evildoers right. He's going to reward his people for being faithful and following him. We'll have no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more pain. We'll have a full life in Jesus when he comes back. And for these believers living in a world where they were persecuted, where people were attacking them and marginalizing them for their faith, they wanted Jesus to come back so that those things, the pressures in their life, would be done with. And for us, we want that ultimately, but in our daily life, we, we want more practical things. We want things like uh, the next step in family development. So if you're single and you have a boyfriend who won't propose to you, you want him to propose to you. Sorry, guys, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I didn't mean to throw you in the doghouse. Just come back around. Anyway, if you, have, if you don't have kids, you want kids. If, if you have kids, you want your kids to be successful and not be terrorists to society. We want the next step there. We want workplace success. We want achievement in the public arena so that people can look at us and, and see that we're the best. And then in, in other circumstances, we want the end to struggle. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Maybe it's a, a relational struggle, a family struggle. But we want the end to those things. We think that whatever God gives us next is the best and that it's going to set everything right. Now, 
I'm not really good at, at being patient in my own life. Uh, yesterday, I did two things that are pretty typical uh, things for people that really, really frustrated me. I downloaded a large app on my iPhone yesterday, and no joke. Okay, so I drove up to the church yesterday because the internet is faster here than at my house. I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm saving time, right? Not being patient, I'm saving time. So I get in my car, and I drive here, and I pull up, seriously, as close to the door as possible without getting out of my car to go inside because I'm saving time. So as my iPhone loads its app, you guys know what it looks like. It's the little pause bars in the middle at first, and then it starts to develop. And it's a small wheel that ticks all the way around. And mine would not tick. And I nearly lost my mind. And then I thought, oh, wait, I'm preaching about patience tomorrow. I need to be cool. So there's that. Then I get back to my house, and I'm wearing a jacket, right? Compensate for the hair and the long pants. We already talked about that. So I've got this button on the top. I usually put all the weight of, you know, whatever, this frame that I have on this top button. So it was crying out for help desperately, like hanging out down to here. So I thought, I'll just sew this button up really quickly. You don't sew quickly. That's not how it works. If any of you sew in here, you need to come up here and preach this thing on patience because I could not do it yesterday. Losing my mind. Two examples of the last mm, 12 hours about now where I was bad at being patient. But in the big things in life, I think for all of us, we have those, those small moments where we lose our patience, and the big things that we want, we lose our patience. I, um, I have a great family, a lot of them are here today, really grateful for them. In a, in a more difficult season of family life, uh, there was a, a member of my family who I grew really, really close to, who I spent a lot of time with, and have a lot of love for, um, she was a woman who really invested in me and showed me a lot of things that I was good at and grew a lot of, a lot of loves uh, for me, like my love for the news and my love for um, things that happen in the political arena and, and taking care of people. Um, a great woman who I love a lot. And a few years ago, she started to pull away from our family. Um, and it, it was really difficult for me and, and one half of my family and still is to this day. Um, it, we want right her to come back and for everything to be fine and for her to trust Jesus and to follow him with her life. We want that for her. We wait for that. We hope for that with anticipation that everything will be new and everything will be better. But the Lord hasn't given that to us yet. And for all of us, we have things where in the everyday we need patience and in the long term, we need patience, that God is going to do things. We want things right now in an instant gratification society. We want things right now when we want them, but God works differently. God brings things about in his own time. God does things on his own schedule. James 5, which is on the screen right here, says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Now, what they wanted, the coming of the Lord, that was the thing. And James paints them a picture in an agricultural society. None of us really farm anymore. And without getting into the specifics of first century Palestinian agriculture, the late and early rains were essential for growing things. So when a farmer would plant, he had to have the early rains and the late rains for that thing to come 
to fruition. So the farmer who needed food, one, to eat, and two, to make money so that he could also eat, to provide for himself. He wanted that fruit. He wanted the thing, but it had to come about in the early and the late rain. The farmer could not make the early rain come earlier or the late rain come earlier. The rain came when it came. It was out of the farmer's hand. There's a passage that I think sums up the best uh, picture of of why God does things the way that he does things and our disconnect with that. It's in Isaiah 55. We're familiar with this passage, but the truth of what it says today is, I think, the cornerstone of what we're talking about. This is the Lord saying, uh, us saying to the Lord, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are my ways, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We want things when we want them. It's like we talked about before. We want instant connection, instant gratification. We want what we want when we want it. But God operates in a way that's higher than our ways, in a way that's better than our way. And it is confusing for us and frustrating for us, right? We want what we want and we deserve it. That's what we tell ourselves. But the truth is, is that God says that his thoughts are not our thoughts and that his ways are not our ways. God calls us to remember that he does things in his own time. We live in a a fast food world, right? I can tell you right now what I order number and combo wise at every significant fast food restaurant that I eat at regularly. And so could you don't look at me like you're better than me. You can do it too. We all, we live in the same world together. We have that. We don't farm. We go to fast food and probably on the complete opposite end of farming is the microwave, which is a great blessing to my life in student ministry, right? I just get to pretend like I'm 12 for the rest of my life is kind of the, kind of the deal. The microwave, such a blessing. You put food that you hope is really food in this thing and you click this button and it spins around magically. We don't really want to know how it works biologically. Not really interested in that. Don't want to know the chemistry behind that. Just gross. But spins around in a circle. Ding! You get your food out. And if you're like me, you can't even wait to eat your food that was prepared immediately. You pick the pizza bagel up, you put it in your mouth, and you immediately have third-degree burns on the top of your mouth. You go around the rest of your, your week with gross mouth hanging down in your mouth because you ate a pizza bagel because you can't even wait. You're just like me. We can't wait. And if we do that in the little things... How much more do we do that in the big things? If we do that with, with the small things, the things that we really desire, the things that we really want, the things that are really hard, the things we really hope for, we're no different there. We want what we want when we want it. But God does things in his own time. James gives us two really practical ways to live and operate in this this thing where we want something, where we're hoping for something, but we don't get it right now. James tells them two things. One is to be patient with what God's doing. In verse eight, it says this, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James tells these believers, God is doing something. God is going to do what he's promised to do. They knew that the Lord was coming back. 
These believers knew it. They trusted it and they believed it. And that's what they hoped for every day. And for us, we know that God is going to do things in our life. He's going to do things according to what he wants because his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours. But God is moving and he's going to do something. So James tells them to establish their hearts. This idea behind establish is to to build it up, to reinforce it, to set it down with security so that when things come around it, when you feel pressure, when you feel more anticipation, your heart is established. You have an anchor because you know that God is going to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it. And then secondly, he tells us not to grumble when we're waiting. And it says this in verse 9, Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's a scary picture, but the the judge standing at the door kind of paints this picture. Uh, For those of you who are parents, whenever you leave your kids in another room, you really hope they don't kill each other, especially whenever there's a door in between you. But it's this idea of God is very close to interrupt if things have to be interrupted which is a reality. God is present to us. God is around. Sounds like a lot, but it shows us God's proximity to our situation. Robert preached a few weeks ago, kind of a reprise of a sermon that he preached a few months ago with a new flavor about this concept of grumbling. And we've talked about that. We've talked about complaining versus grumbling. Complaining is open. It is me standing up on this stage saying, God, I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to do things my way. You have it wrong. I deserve to do what I want. That is a complaint. A grumble is more of a to one another, secret, in my heart. God, I'm frustrated with what you're doing. God, I wish it would be like this. I wish this would happen. Now, this is not a a statement that says don't grumble to God or about God, but this is a statement that says don't grumble against each other. So in a passage that talks about waiting and a passage that talks about hoping, we hear a word about how to treat each other. It says don't grumble against one another. And that is the first thing that we do whenever we see that someone has something that we want. What do we do? We complain about it. In our hearts, we say, I deserve that. They don't deserve that. I'm better than them. I've done this to earn this. I need to have this. We do that and we lash out at people because of our insecurity or because we feel inadequate or because we really are passionate about something that we have. Not a complaint, an open complaint because we wouldn't dare do that, right? Not in the South. We like to grumble and talk about people behind their back in circles where we feel like we're safe. But James is very clear. He says, don't grumble against one another. Because when we want things and we hope for things, there's this strain that happens in our life where we want this thing so much and it puts stress around all the situations in our life. And the first thing we do is complain and we grumble and we lash out against one another. Severing relationships, hurting the people that are closest to us. James is very clear to tell us that in our waiting, not to grumble. 
Then James takes a great turn. He talks about two parties, one party and a person, to set an example of what it looks like to wait and to endure. He talks about the prophets and he talks about Job. Now the prophets is in a a general sweeping way. Uh, He talks about the prophets and them being steadfast. He talks about Job and Job being steadfast. But what he says when he says these things, the point that he makes into a group of people who are waiting, who want something, who need something, he shows them these two parties to tell them this, that God has always given to his people. God is a good God. And God loves to give us gifts. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But God has always given to his people. He takes the two examples of the prophets and Job. And we'll look at it right here. James 9, 10 and 11 says this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So the prophets, people who much like us knew God, had relationship with God, were sent out into the world to speak the truth of who God was and what he's doing and to represent him to the people around them, people just like us, they were met with all sorts of opposition. The prophets as a whole always wanted different things. Maybe they wanted God to take their people from out of exile and give them back the land that they were promised. Maybe they wanted their people to stop being disobedient and to follow God with faithfulness. Whatever the situation was for the prophets as a whole, James points to this and he says, these people who faced struggles and trials and who wanted things and hoped for things, faced relational opposition, had people turn their backs on them, wanted better things. He shows an example of them and calls them steadfast. And then one specific example of Job. Job, who's from the story we're relatively familiar with, Job was a man of great wealth, of great notoriety, that God took everything from. God took Job's children from him, all of his possessions from him. He gave Job diseases. Job had a tough season of life. But Job, through it all, remained steadfast. And the Lord blessed him doubly, is what the Bible tells us at the end, that the Lord gave to Job more than he'd ever had before. And Job learned something valuable in the process. Steadfastness in this original language, the context behind this word steadfast, the connotation there is this, uh, a patient endurance, a patient endurance. It's this idea that our attitude, our state, who we are, would be one that is committed to being patient Not just today, not just in a situation, not just for a moment, but patient with endurance. That over the course of our life, in everything that happens, the little things and the big things, that we would be patient in what God is doing, the ways he's revealing himself, and the things that he chooses to do. 
They're, uh, they're recently, I came back to make sure that I got this right because this is going to blow your mind. There was recently a study that Microsoft did that addressed the human attention span. We're not really good at being steadfast with endurance. We're not really good at focusing. So our ability to focus will hinder our ability to be steadfastly endure. So uh, Microsoft did this study recently where they surveyed 2,000-something Canadians. So, you know, maybe Canadians are different than us. Who knows? If you're from Canada, I'm sorry. I uh, love your country. Hey. Anyway, uh, can Canadians, 2,000 Canadians were studied. Microsoft did this. You can look it up online. It is going to blow your mind. Since the mobile revolution, since phones started happening and we started being able to connect to the internet on our phones and the advent of social media has occurred, the human attention span dropped from an estimated 15 seconds in the year 2000 to eight seconds in the year 2016. Now, eight seconds is kind of on the high end of some of the things that I've read. Some of you are, are much more educated in psychology and neurology and things like that than I am, but uh, people don't really focus well. Even if you can commit to something for a long time, you're secretly shifting your attention from one tiny thing to the next every couple of seconds. And because of our phones and because of these things, our attention span has gone very, 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 very far down. So much to the point that scientists think that the average goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. So if humans have eight seconds and goldfish have nine seconds, guys, we are in trouble. Goldfish are out-focusing us, which is a sad day for this country especially Canada. We could be better. Who knows? But anyway, America. Uh, this, this is sad, right? We are not committed to things as people anymore. We can't focus. We can't stay. How are we supposed to live with steadfast endurance if we can't focus on one thing for longer than eight seconds? Sure, we've gotten better at multitasking and spreading ourselves out really thin, but we're not good at doing difficult things for long periods of time. The Olympics are coming up, which I am so excited about. I love the Olympics. Nick earlier this week revealed his love for the Olympics also, so I hope we work in the next like week and a half and not just like hole up in offices and watch the Olympics the whole time. But I am in love with this idea of our biggest and our best playing for the honor of America comes full circle. Love the Olympics. And some of the things that fascinate me the most in the Olympics are the endurance events. There are people who will run a mile faster than I can drive a mile or bike a mile or run five miles. These people are fast. I'm impressed with marathon runners, people who run a longer distance than I've honestly run in like the last three months. You can judge me if you want to. But uh, marathon runners, people who run with endurance, who are committed to this long-term goal and who do everything they have, who give everything they have, who do everything they can to achieve this long-term goal. We're going to watch Olympians, people who have been in developmental programs since they've been like this tall from a lot of countries who are committed to this idea of doing their best and doing whatever it takes to achieve the best. 
And I think we have a lot to learn from that. In our life, we want things. We hope for things. We anticipate things. But often we give up long before those things come about. We stop caring. Apathy takes over. We get frustrated and we give up. We get mad at God because he's not playing by our rules. But James calls us to be steadfast, to have this patient endurance that looks for what God is going to do. Now, this, I'm really excited about this. Robert was nervous about this, um, so tell him it went well, even if it doesn't. So this is like my favorite third grade science experiment. Not that I remember doing this in third grade, but this is the Alka-Seltzer film cap, like rocket thing. Have you guys seen this? Has anybody not seen this? Look, you don't get this up the street. Thanks for being here today at Funner Church. Um, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Don't uh, don't hold that against me. You thought of wherever you just thought of. Not me, I didn't say it. Uh, So this is one of my favorite things. You take some water. That's too much, I'm gonna drink this. Tastes really bad. so this is an Alka-Seltzer. This is a little film cap and it has water in it. Something cool is going to happen. But here's something in, in our life. Uh, we know that God is going to do great things. No one doubts that. You wouldn't be in this place if you weren't at least somewhat sure of that idea. God's near to us, like the passage said, and he's going to do great things. But it takes patience for us. So, Here's what this thing does. You put it in here and then you put this little cap on it. You turn it upside down. Don't tell Woodland Hills I did this either. I should have said that. So it takes a little bit of time. Does anybody know any good jokes? While we wait. Cool. So, (laughs) woo! (laughs) Nervous about that one. You want me to do it again? I'm just fine. Uh, I have two. Uh, student pastor. Sorry. Back on track. Eight second attention span. There we go. We're all the way back around. We know that God is going to do great things in our life. We know that God has great things for us. We don't doubt that. But we lose sight of what he's doing because we have to wait. No one likes to wait. And so often we can miss out on what God is doing in our life because we are unwilling to wait. God shows us this in the word that he makes us wait for his purposes. He makes us wait to see his purposes, that he is compassionate and merciful. That's what it says at the end of Chapter, verse 11, says that God has shown us his purposes, that he's compassionate and merciful. God makes us wait. He gives us the things he gives us because he loves us. He's full of compassion towards us and he's merciful. He gives us the things that we don't deserve. So in the good times for us, in the good seasons, the things where we want more, where we want the next, we want the biggest, we want the best, God promises us this. Matthew 7, 9 and 11 reads like this. Or which one of you, if his son asks, for, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God is not Santa Claus. He does not give us whatever we want. Um, Heck, Santa Claus doesn't even give us everything we want, right? Come on, what are we going to do with that? God gives us things according to what? Like we talked about earlier, his higher thoughts and his higher ways. We want things in our life desperately. And I think that's appropriate when they're good things that we want. But just because we want them doesn't mean that God's going to do them. God has every right to be God. He's good regardless of our circumstance. He's good regardless of whether we like what he does or not. But he invites us to be a part of what he's doing. And he asks us, he lets us, he gives us permission to ask him for things, to want things from him. Like a good father who loves his kids and gives his kids good things, God is an even better father who gives his kids good things. But he's not going to give them things that are bad for him. Like that said, if a, if a kid asks for a loaf of bread, he won't give him a stone, a rock. Or if he asks for a fish, won't give him a serpent, a snake. Sometimes we ask for things and we don't know what we're asking for. Sometimes we, we, want, sometimes we want things and we don't know really what we want or what they're going to do. But we have the confidence that God is a good God, that his ways are higher, that his thoughts are higher that he's doing what's good for us, even when it doesn't feel like it. And in the struggle, Jesus promises us that he's going to be close to us in the struggle. When we're waiting and we're hoping for him to deliver us from a situation, when we're in a season of life that we don't want to be in, when there's a circumstance that we want gone, when we want things to be different, he tells us this, John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As a guarantee, we will have tribulation. We'll have troubles. We will struggle. Robert said a lot a few months ago, this phrase, to live is to lose. There's something about life that's tough. And that is a guarantee. But God is near to us in the difficult seasons. We know that the difficult times will end, that things will be better, that God loves us and he plans things for our good according to his purposes. What are his purposes? To be compassionate and merciful. And he tells us this, to take heart because he's overcome the world. So for some of us in the room, we're waiting for God to tell us what's, what's coming up, what's next, what he has for us in life. We want something, we see it, and you know what that is for you. Everyone has something they want, something they're waiting for, something they're waiting for God to do. A big thing only God could do. And for you, I tell you to be patient. That's what James tells us. With a steadfast endurance, know that God is doing something good, whether you think it's good or not. And for those of us in this room 
who are in a difficult season, a time of struggle, a time where things have been better, where God has given you a circumstance and a situation that you are fed up with, that you want to be different. He promises us that he's close to us, that he's working things in his time and that his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, that he's good no matter what. And all of this in context of the first promise that the coming of the Lord is soon, that we live today in freedom because of what Jesus has done. We were a sinful people and God has taken away the punishment that we deserve for our sin and given us a full life in him, a life that gives us confidence in the hard times and a life that blesses us in the hard times and in the good times. But we know that the Lord is coming soon to set things right. But we live in the reality of him setting things right today. So for all of us in the room, good circumstances, bad circumstances, he calls us to be patient with a steadfast endurance to know who he is, that he's good, and that he's doing things in our lives.